Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where we learn all about building resilience in ourselves and helping others build it too. We draw from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching to help you face change and adversity and do more than just survive. We want you to thrive. We are your hosts, Heather Stables and Leah Davidson, and we are certified life coaches and speech language pathologists. We will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and become the very best version of yourself, version 2.0. Let's get started. This is Heather Stables and Leah Davidson, and this is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 29, The Four Tendencies. Hello, Heather. Hi, Leah. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's amazing. We're like only two blocks away, but you feel so, so, so distant. I know. It's all that quarantine, which I'm hoping by the time this podcast airs, I'm hoping we will be out of it. We won't have to quarantine when people come in and out of Canada. Yeah, and maybe we'll be like recording in person. Wouldn't that be something? That would be so fun. Right? Okay. I'm so excited about this topic today. So let's dive in. I I am too. And I've wanted to do this episode for a while because it's based on a book that I refer to all the time. And it's a book that has made such a big difference for me in understanding and dealing with my relationships. It's helped me understand myself and understand the people in my life. So it can help you with your partner, your kids, your colleagues, your boss, your friends, your neighbors, pretty much anyone you ever meet. What it does is help us understand why people do what they do based on what their tendencies are. Do you know what the Mm -hmm. book is, Heather? I sure do. It's called The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. And she's the author of the well-known book, The Happiness Project. And it's another great book. If you're trying to make some changes in your life that will lead to a little bit more satisfaction and happiness. And not only is there a book called The Four Tendencies, um, but she also created a short online course that you can purchase as well. And I found the book and the information in it so valuable that I did purchase a course and we actually went through parts of it as a family so we could help understand each other a little bit more. There's also a quiz that you can take online and that will tell you what your tendency is. And we'll talk more about that in a minute, but there's lots of resources surrounding this book. So Gretchen Rubin has spent years studying happiness and habits, and she knows that while there's no magic one-size-fits-all answer for how to build happier and healthier and more productive lives, she has found that different strategies were working for different people. For example, she saw that some people are morning people, some people are night people. Some people do better when they abstain from things, um, and other people do better in moderation. Some people love simplicity, and other people love abundance. That's right. So she was curious as to why certain people do certain things. For example, why do some people find it easy to keep New Year's resolutions and other people don't? Why do some people find it easier to be committed to taking an exercise class while others prefer to be self-paced? She then determined that it all comes down to a simple, decisive question of how do you respond to expectations? Basically, she says that there are two kinds of expectations. Outer expectations, which are the expectations others place upon you, like meeting a work deadline. And inner expectations are the expectations you place on yourself. 
So depending on the person's response to outer and inner expectations, that person falls into one of four distinct types, which she calls the four tendencies. tendencies. So she claims that these tendencies are hardwired, but of course, they're not the only thing to consider. There are so many factors that make up somebody's personality. This is just one interesting way to help us understand people. Kind of like it's interesting to know if someone's an extrovert or an introvert. Myers-Briggs does a whole study on people's personalities, and it can be helpful to understand who you are and what categories you fall into and who others are when you're building relationships. I love doing that. It's just one more tool that can help us understand ourselves and each other. And the other really important thing to know is that it's not like one tendency is better than another. They all have strengths and weaknesses. When we understand our own self tendency, we may be better able to use our time more productively, make better decisions, suffer less, get healthier, engage more effectively with other people. Yeah, that's right. And when we don't understand our tendencies, we may be confused as to why we keep doing the same things over and over and over again, trying to figure out why we do what we do. So understanding our own tendency helps us to be more compassionate with ourselves as well. And understanding our tendency does not mean that we're fixed in stone and there's no hope and we cannot grow. It just means that we have more compassion with ourselves as to why we're doing what we're doing. And we can then tweak situations to boost our chances of success. We also can learn how to communicate and support other people based on their tendencies. And that has been such an important piece with me and specifically with my children. So understanding what their tendency is helps me understand them better and modify my communication to be able to reach them. And it also allows me to be much more compassionate with them. It helps me understand the kind of things that will be motivating and encouraging and also maybe upsetting for them based on what their dominant tendency is. And again, Ruben points out, it's important to understand that the four tendency framework is meant to help us understand ourselves more deeply and not to limit our sense of identity or possibility. It's not meant to confine you or restrict you. It isn't meant to be a box that cramps our style or a label that determines everything about us, rather a spotlight that can illuminate hidden aspects of our nature. That's right. So let's dive in. Like we said, there are four main tendencies and we're just going to review them briefly and then we're going to do a much deeper dive. So remember the tendencies are based on outer expectations, which are expectations other people place on us and inner expectations, which are the expectations we place on ourselves. Now, the first group are what they call the upholders. These are people who respond readily to both outer expectations and inner expectations. So this means when they make a commitment either to themselves or to other people, they are likely to follow through on both. They love rules, having a clear path, and are very self-motivated and disciplined. If you tell them what to do, they have no problems leading the way. Okay, group number two, they're the questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They meet expectations only if they believe it's justified. So basically, they respond only to inner expectations. They'll question all outer expectations and only do them if it makes sense to them. So if they want to do something, they'll do it. They need to see purpose and reason in anything they do. And you need to make it very clear why you want what you want from them and why it's very important. 
That's right. And then the third group are the obligers, which is the group that holds the most people, incidentally, in the world, if you were to categorize everybody, according to Rubin. They will readily respond to outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. That means they will follow through on commitments they make to other people, but they have a harder time following through on commitments to just themselves. They do best when they're held accountable by a friend, a coach, or a boss to get things done. They do best when they have a sense of obligation and know that they are working in a team and others are expecting things from them. All right, that brings us to the last category, and that is the rebel. These are people who resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. People in this group want to be free to choose and express their own individuality. So it's just best to give them the facts, present the task as a challenge, and then let them decide without any pressure. So basically, upholders want to know what should be done. Questioners, they want justifications. Obligers need accountability. And rebels want freedom to do something their own way. Those are sort of like the quick synopsis of the four categories. Yeah, that's so helpful. Just by listening to these, you may be thinking right away that these ones, that there are ones that are better than others. But I do really want to emphasize that there are positive and negative traits to all the categories. And we need all of the categories in the world. And the other thing to note is that while one area may be your dominant tendency, we also lean towards another area. So there are upholders who also have a tendency to be questioners, or on the other side is a tendency to like oblige more. Obviously, there is room for flexibility, but generally speaking, we all have one category that is more dominant. Yeah. And as I said, this is super helpful for me to understand these tendencies. It was truly a light bulb, pivotal moment for me when I was reading the book, because I would often wonder why people were doing what they were doing or why something was hard for one person when it was not hard for me, for example, Um, especially with my family. And it helped make sense in my home why some do what they do. And rather than get upset at them, I now understand. So for example, I found out in my home, I am an upholder, but I have four obligers, one questioner, and one rebel in my home. (laughs) And of course, each person has a a secondary tendency. Like you said, for example, I have an obliger that leans towards being a rebel, but I have another obliger that leans towards being an upholder. And the way it works out is if I was asking a child to do something, what would happen in my house is I would have three kids be pretty compliant. They would just go and do it. And then I'd have one who'd be questioning everything. Why do I have to do that? What's the difference? What does it make? And then I would have one who would outright refuse to do anything. So guess what? In my mind, I started to think that I have three easy kids and two hard kids. But once I understood the tendency, it was so much easier. I just realized, oh, okay, this is just how they're responding. So I would say if I was asking them to do a chore, I could ask the three and the three of them would go off and do their chore. Now, the questioner, I would just have to give justification to them. You need to do this because blah, 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 blah. Since we're part of the family, we have to chip in. We need to clean the bathroom because otherwise it gets gross. And then for my rebel child, it was just like a no-nonsense factual ask without a lot of drama that gave him an element of control. 
you can do this or do this, and then you can head out. So in Gretchen's book, she actually goes through and talks about how the four tendencies can help you with relationships with partners, help you as a parent, and then also in the workplace. So I really encourage you to read the book because you get lots of perspectives in different areas of your life. Now, you may be asking, how do you know which tendency you resonate with? We'll go through some specifics and you'll likely be able to pick out some specific character traits that resonate with you. And you'll also likely be able to pick out some traits that resonate with other people in your life. But Gretchen Rubin makes it even simpler for you because she has a quiz you can take and it'll help you determine what your tendency is. Yeah, so the quiz is in the book, or you can actually do it online. So you can just go online and Google um, the Gretchen Rubin Four Tendencies quiz. And when you take the quiz, you want to choose the answer that seems generally true for you. And she, she suggests that you don't search for exceptions to the rule or just focus on one specific area of your life. You want to go for the first answer that comes to mind. Now, of course, just your response to your desire to take the quiz is pretty telling because that's exactly what happened in my family. So when I said, guys, we're going to take this quiz, like the obligers were like, sure. And my questioner was like, why are we doing this? Is this even accurate? And what's the point? How am I ever going to use it? And of course, my rebel thought it was the stupidest thing in the world and refused to do it, but then decided on his own when everybody else was doing it that, okay, I might as well do it because it looks kind of fun. So it's, it's actually funny. Whatever your reaction is to taking the quiz can be indicative of the kind of tendency that you're going to be leaning towards. <laughs> so some examples of the kind of questions she asks are, have you kept a New Year's resolution where you weren't accountable to anyone? A resolution like drinking more water or keeping a journal? Or when you formed a healthy habit in the past, what helped you stick with it? And she gives you options of answers. And then there are statements that you either agree or disagree with or are neutral on. For example, people get frustrated with me because if they ask me to do something, I'm less likely to do it, even with a boss or client. Commitments to others should never be broken, but commitments to myself can be broken. Or I've sometimes described myself as a people pleaser. So these are just some of the examples of the questions she asks. Then you get a score at the end and you find out what your tendency is. That's right. So let's go back now and take a deeper dive into each tendency. The first one is the upholder. And here are some key things to know about an upholder. They readily meet external and internal expectations. They are self-directed so they can meet deadlines. They can work on projects and take the initiative without much supervision. They enjoy routine and may have trouble adjusting to a break in routine or sudden scheduling changes. Ding, ding, ding. I'm an upholder, so all these are resonating with me. <laughs> they hate to make mistakes, and because of that, they may become very angry or defensive when you suggest that they've dropped the ball or done something wrong. They put a very high value on follow-through. Don't tell them you're going to do something and then not do it. They may need to be reminded that unlike them, others aren't necessarily comforted or energized by getting things done. They may have trouble delegating responsibilities because they suspect that others aren't dependable. So as we said, there are strengths and weaknesses with each tendency. 
And what do we know about confidence? Well, we know that when we want to be confident, we've got to learn to embrace it all, all our strengths and all our weaknesses. So Heather, tell me, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses when I am an upholder? Well, Leah, you are self-motivated, you're a self-starter, you're conscientious, you're reliable, you're thorough, you're eager to meet and understand expectations. Those are your strengths. It's beautiful. That's right. And next. <laughs> Wait, there's more. <laughs> Weaknesses can be defensive, rigid, uneasy when rules aren't clear, lack flexibility, demanding, can be impatient when others need reminders, deadlines, or supervision. That sums me up to a T. And you know what? It is so helpful recognizing that that those are weaknesses because those are things that I can be aware of. Like, and, and that is what I, I meant by it really helped me in my family. Because if you have a mom or a stepmom who has some of these weaknesses, you know, rigid, uneasy, lack flexibility, demanding, can be impatient, it can be really hard, especially if you fall into other categories, which all my kids fall into other categories. So it was really helpful for me to remember that when they're struggling with something, it could also be because of how I am, that I'm, okay, maybe I'm too demanding, maybe I'm too impatient. So it's something that I've been working a lot on, and I, I just love being aware of it. All right, so that brings us to the questioner. So here are some key things about them. They question all expectations. They meet an expectation only if they believe it's justified. They put a high value on reason, research, and information. They follow the advice of authorities, air quotes, only if they trust their expertise. They follow their own judgment, sometimes when it flies in the face of experts who allegedly know more. Their persistent questioning may make them seem uncooperative or defiant. They hate anything arbitrary, anything like five garments to a fitting room. They may dislike being questioned themselves. They consider their actions carefully so they find it tiresome or even insulting to be asked to justify their decisions. They may have trouble delegating, decision-making, these kinds of things because they suspect that others don't have a sufficient basis. That's right. So let me tell you, my child who is a questioner teachers were not happy with this child. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. You can see because, you know, questioning everything and they're persistent and they're constant. And again, once I understood that about this child, then when the teachers were calling me, I was just like, yeah, I know he's a questioner, you know, we're working on it because the strengths are, mm -hmm. they are very data driven. They're interested in creating systems that are efficient and effective. They are willing to play devil's advocate if warranted, and they are very strong-willed. Yeah, but yeah. the weaknesses, they can suffer from analysis paralysis. They can be impatient with what they see as others' complacency. They may be unable to accept closure on matters. They defy expectations that others may think are fair, and they may resist answering other people's questions. So again, you know, the strengths in all these things are awesome, but we all got to be working on those weaknesses because they can be pretty challenging. Okay. Dealing with an obliger. Leah, you have a lot of those in your family? I do. 
You got me too. I'm a, I'm a ninth family member, I think. Yeah. I think interestingly, obligers go well with a lot of people. That's why there's, there's so many who are, um, it's a dominant tendency. I think obligers on the one hand, they sort of get a, well, we'll talk about the strengths and weaknesses, but they are seen as easier to get along with. They're seeing as, you know, more, I just saw that with my own kids. The the three who were obligers, they're just sort of like, oh, they're my easy kids. And, you know, it's in, that is a strength, but there's also the weaknesses. So tell us about you, Heather. Okay. They readily meet outer expectations, but struggle to meet inner expectations. They put a high value on meeting commitments to others. I'll do anything for a client, patient, family member. They require deadlines, oversight, monitoring, and other forms of accountability. They may have trouble setting limits on others' demands. They may be exploited by people who take advantage of them. And because of that, they may feel resentful and fall into obliger rebellion. They may have trouble delegating because they feel that some expectations attach to them personally. And they must have systems of external accountability in order to meet internal expectations. That's right. So their strengths, they are reliable and responsible and a team player. They feel great obligation to meet others' expectations and they are willing to go the extra mile. They're often highly committed. However, the weaknesses are they may be resentful about what's being asked of them and of those who put themselves first. They may show the destructive pattern to self. They may be exploitable. They may have trouble saying no or imposing limits. And they need outer accountability to meet their inner expectations. So finally, the last one is the rebel. Now the rebel, they will resist both outer and inner expectations. They put a high value on freedom, choice, self-expression, and authenticity. If someone asks or tells them to do something, they're likely to resist. And because of that, they may be easy to manipulate by using their spirit of resistance. I'll show you, watch me. You can't make me. You're not the boss of me. I've never heard any of those things. (laughs) Well, they may choose to act out of love, a sense of mission and a belief in a cause. They have trouble telling themselves even what to do, even when something is something that they want to do. They may love to meet a challenge in their own way, in their own time. They don't respond well to supervision, advice, direction, or routines, schedules, or doing repetitive tasks. So they are a little bit more challenging to teachers and parents. <laughs> and if they're in a long-term relationship and work or romance, their partner's probably going to be an obliger, which kind of makes sense. You can see that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the rebel strengths. They are independent-minded, sounds like. They're able to think outside the box, and they're not swayed by conventional opinions, and they're willing to back social conventions. They're in touch with their authentic desires. And the weaknesses, they're resistant. They struggle with repetitive or, or mandatory tasks. They act as though ordinary rules don't apply to them. They're restless and they may find it difficult to settle down and they struggle with routine and planning. So there you have it. Those are the four main tendencies that Gretchen Rubin refers to. 
I do really want to emphasize that they're not set in stone. So if you find yourself in a category, you don't have to be caged into that category. It's just one way to help us understand each other and how to best connect with each other. I personally have found it so helpful. That's why I wanted to share it on the podcast because it really has increased my patience and my compassion for myself and for others. And I remember, I don't know if you remember being on this coaching call, Heather, it was um, last year in our group mastermind, there was a woman who was really berating herself for not being able to follow through on a deadline. Yes. And she couldn't understand why she would do it for others and not for herself. And so everybody was talking about like, well, why don't you value yourself? Or why don't you love yourself enough to follow through on your own commitments? And And while there may be something about that, I remember just offering to her, maybe you're just an obliger. Maybe like nothing has gone wrong. This is just your tendency. And now you need to figure out how to create a deadline for yourself or get yourself an accountability partner and then you're going to be set. So I also think it can really expand your creativity on coming up with ways to deal with yourself and your challenges and how to deal with other people. Okay, so why don't you go and try taking the quiz? Try to wear the Four Tendencies lens with some compassion and see what you think of it. The book is a great book, but like I said, you could take the quiz. There's lots of information about it online and play around. See what category, what tendency you fall under. See what tendency the people in your life fall under and see if it makes a difference in your relationships and how you treat others and how much compassion and love you have for yourself and for others. Yeah. And we're going to put the link to the the quiz in the Building Resilience Facebook group. And so if you're not a member, please join. You can take the quiz there and then share your results with us. We would love to hear. We'd love to see how many obligers, if that is true, that there's more of them. How many? I want to see the rebels. I know. I know. The rebels, the questioners, the upholders, they're all awesome. And you know what? We need them all. Interestingly, I will say about the rebel is one of the things, because when I first, I have to be honest, when I first read the rebel one, I was like, oh, that is for sure the most difficult one. And I guess to a certain extent, it is hard because you don't meet any inner or outer expectations. But as I was reading, the rebels are known to be like the shakers and the movers of the world, right? Of course. They're the most creative. They're the ones who make lots of changes. So again, when you see it from that perspective, it's just awesome. So Come join us at the Building Resilience Club Facebook group and let us know what you are. We'll see you over there. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you are interested in a little bit of weekly motivation, want to be kept in the know about upcoming free classes and resources, new podcast episodes, and other ways of working with us, please go subscribe to our weekly email. You can subscribe at www.hl-lifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Again, that's www.hl-lifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you again soon.